Welcome to another episode of brand spanking new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's Nate and Aaron, just the two of us once again. Um, this is, in some ways, I mean, it's not quite always as lively as when we have a whole zoo of guys in. It is a whole lot more efficient. We're actually getting the podcasts done, recorded, and up. Uh, but it's good to see you, Aaron. Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, minimalistic as it is, I'm, uh, it's good to see you as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I did make contact with Newton and, uh, and uh, saw Mondo again. Mondo, by the way, is on the board of Samson House. So I get some uh, more interaction with him. We are going to have to get everybody together for uh, a mini meeting here shortly, even if we do it by Zoom. And we'll see how many of the guys can come to the Pirate Monk Recharge Weekend. You're going to be there. I will be there with my uh, oldest son. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited for him to experience the the Samson community there at the mothership. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited to go on Monday night to to the group. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Want him to experience that because he actually has put together a number of Samson groups uh, probably since he was in about the ninth or tenth grade. He would get his buddies together. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, man. He was always, we, we had talked, his junior high years, he was homeschooled just with me. Yeah. Uh, and so we spent so much time together and talked about everything. So then he would get together with his other friends in early high school and be like, all right, so I know we all struggle with these things. And he'd just be totally specific. He'd lay it off. <laughs> <laughs> those poor little guys. Um, <laughs> I love it. But out of that, there have risen a few friends that also have become very honest. And so he's been able to continue having honest relationships. Oh, but so good. There, there was one mom that came to me once after a sleepover. <laughs> she'd been in the next room listening. Yeah. She'd be like, man, our kids are really odd. Do you know the stuff they talk about? You know, most parents are like, ah, oh, they're talking about boobs and girls. Yeah. yeah. And I can't remember the question, but one of them, and my, my son was like, okay, everyone, let's sit down and just talk about some of the struggles we've been having and how we can find God inside of that. And they just sat there for like two hours talking about that. It's like, it was very bizarre. Like, well, it's that or methamphetamine. So I take that. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> At least they're not breaking bad in that direction. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing right from lots of things here. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, Samson activity is is up so much, and there's so much coming down the pike. Uh, but but I'm doing well. Allie and I are doing well. You know, the big change for us. I think a few months ago, I talked on the podcast, maybe during a mini meeting, about my growing discomfort with the amount of alcohol I was drinking. Hmm. And wondering whether it was time uh, to cut back, which uh, and the very prospect of cutting back uh, filled me with dread and sadness. Uh, I, the feeling that I would be depriving myself of an essential pleasure and that life would become uh, 
duller if I stopped drinking. It's amazing alcohol really has become part of my Samson persona a little bit. I noticed that when I go to travel into other cities to visit other groups, very often the guys are, you know, eager to eager for the meeting after the meeting so that they can show me their pub. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and I like being an aficionado of craft beer, uh, but it had, has started to bother me that if I'm honest, it's clear that I'm drinking more now than I was drinking five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, so at any rate, uh, my daughter, Kristen, who is has found herself on the same trajectory when it comes to uh, alcohol consumption. Neither one of us, you know, we're not fall down drunks, don't like to be drunk. You know, we kind of had this. Uh, <laughs> Kristen actually explained to her kids the difference between being sober, buzzed, and drunk. As though, you know, there's... <laughs> Uh, she got concerned enough about it uh, that she took up took a friend's recommendation to read a book called This Naked Mind, uh, which helps kind of deconstruct our unconscious beliefs about alcohol that can drive the desire for the drink. And for her, at least, it was it was a, a real turning point. So my daughter, who cannot drink me, I mean, she can drink me under the table, um, stopped. And uh, Allie and I watching her have been so inspired to see her come alive, get so much sharper, so much more energetic, so much more optimistic. I thought, well, she's maybe alcohol isn't adding as much to our lives as we thought it was. So anyway, we're reading the book. I'm reading it to Allie. And I'm finding that my um, desire for alcohol is markedly diminished. After reading the book. Yeah, yeah. And we're not, we're not even through with it yet. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's been the, the impetus for this lowering desire is just getting new information. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. So um, I do not want to become an, a, you know, an evangel, an anti-alcohol evangelist. I mean, I mean, I haven't, I haven't even quit drinking myself entirely. I've tapered uh, remarkably, uh, and I'm thinking about maybe just quitting altogether. But. Uh, Anyway, that's a, a, just a, just a, a strange and, for me, a wonderful turn of events. I feel a lot I, – I, I feel as though with the challenges that are ahead of us and the opportunities in Samson, I need to be at my very best and have my faculties uh, such as they are around me. And uh, to the degree that alcohol may have been making me a little duller, a little slower uh, – you know, slowing down or stopping altogether is going to be a good thing. Interesting. So, well, well, we'll have to keep uh, keep everyone posted on. This yeah, story. isn't that odd? It. Uh, I don't know. Why is it odd? Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought. <laughs> Sorry, that was the wrong question. No, no, no. I mean, it is. First of all, I would like to think. You know that. I have an addiction, 
that God gives me freedom from on a daily basis, and that's a sex addiction. And kind of that's the category. That's the slot I'm in. Right. And um, so I'm not, I can't, so I'm not an alcoholic or, it, yeah. So anyway, I'm used to talking about sex. I'm not used to talking about alcohol. Maybe that's what's weird. Hmm. Um, yeah. And and maybe because we sometimes need to land either I'm an alcoholic or I'm not an alcoholic. Right. It needs to be an ism or not. And if it's not an ism, then it's it's okay. Yeah. We can be like, okay, maybe I'm not an alcoholic, but maybe it's not helpful. Right. To yeah. Had this has become a consistent part of my life for reasons yeah. it doesn't need to be there. Yeah, and I think that even that terminology uh, is double-edged and can be uh, – it, that's one of the points that the woman who wrote this book makes. Uh, she said, uh, you know, we like to think, and it's even advanced in classic 12-step thinking, AA thinking, that there are some people who have an allergy to alcohol, a physical allergy to alcohol, mm-hmm. and uh, they can't drink safely. They're alcoholics. And then there are other people who can drink safely and mod- moderately. They're not alcoholics. And that's a really convenient belief uh, because it allows me, as long as I'm not in that category, I don't have to really pay attention to my drinking. I don't have to worry about any growing dependency. I don't have to keep track of anything because I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tends to trap the person who accepts the designation. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, she points out that they really, despite an awful lot of research, there's no scientific support, substantial scientific support for the idea that some people have an allergy to alcohol and other people don't. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she also disputes the idea that there is an alcoholic personality, that some people, an addictive personality. Some people have an addictive personality and some people don't. Wow. Not been able to correlate that with scientific research. Uh, so she's research. flying in the face of a whole lot of accepted uh, vernacular. Yeah. yeah. But she says but she says that's a very convenient belief because um, we don't, <laughs> we can blame addiction on the personality rather than saying alcohol is addictive. Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Well, why don't we I'm, get her on this show? Yeah. Let's see if we can. I don't know. Uh, well, let's give it a shot. Yeah. So so there you go. That's your adventure. Uh, and and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll be the only one having a beer, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be fine with you having a beer. And I'm, uh, who knows? I may have a beer with you. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I won't have four though. Uh, that's that's good. I will say that Samson guys, uh, some of the early years of being at your house for two weeks at a time and being out with guys every night, I would be so sick of Guinness by the end. Yeah, but it was like here. All right, we're gonna sit down and have a beer. I'm like, oh, yeah. can I have an iced tea, please? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's. It is a strange culture, and if it becomes a habituated part, it can be unhelpful. So there's the balance. For those of you that have always wondered, man, these guys seem to be really super into beer. Uh, You've now received the Balancing Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. 
So what about you, man? How's it going with you? Oh, it's it. I am recovering from yesterday. Yesterday was Elijah's adoption day party where we. Oh yeah. Day we brought him home from Ethiopia, and uh, how many years has it been here? I want to say nine years ago. Wow. Because he's ten and yeah, so nine years ago. Um, so we usually have a big dinner and, uh, watch, we have a number of videos, whether they're my videos from when I was in Ethiopia or ones that he got. And, uh, it's, it's such a great, it was fun. I had my parents there, uh, my oldest son's girlfriend, and we had a big five course Ethiopian meal that took about six hours to make. Wow. Um, but it's always such an amazing reminder to me. Because a big part of why we adopted, why I always wanted to adopt a child was because I'm adopted, not mm-hmm. biologically, but spiritually. That's sure. my whole story with God. Right. But I knew I didn't understand adoption. And so I really wanted to adopt a kid so I could experience that. Mm-hmm. And so many amazing things uh came from that and it was nice to be reminded yesterday and talk talk about it but i mean the first thing is just being reminded of the cost of my adoption yeah so i remember people get so frustrated at how much it costs to adopt a child from africa Mm-hmm. I think at the time it was like $24,000 total for everything. Wow. The second child we tried to adopt, it was up to like thirty-two to 34000 Wow. Be like, that's just unfair that you shouldn't have to. They should just let you take the child home. And I thought, no, we, we want to pay this because it seems like so much. And this is part of us. Entering into what does it mean to adopt a child? What did it mean for God? And when I consider that the price of my adoption was Jesus' blood and execution, like my adoption is the most expensive adoption in the history of the world. Uh, You know, $30,000 is not that much once I compare it. And so it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to. Now, I, I do wish for the sake of more kids being adopted that there was an easier way. But as far as just entering in and realizing, wow, God pursued me. It took time. It cost. It had a physical cost. All of those components are a part of his love for me. Um, also being reminded yesterday that when, if I struggle with shame or God, God doesn't love me because of this behavior, what I'm actually saying is Jesus' blood is too weak and uh, of too little value to mm. keep me as a beloved child. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. devalue the blood of God. But the funny thing is, uh, there's a song called Christ Died for God that kind of whacked my mind out. It was like 1994 I heard it. And the words were, Christ died for God and God was satisfied with Christ. Oh, unblemished sacrifice, the son of grace. I thought, what do you mean Christ died for God? Jesus died for me. Mm-hmm. But that's not even what John 3.16 says, right? It says, for God so loved the world. Well, God could mean Jesus. No, we're going to separate it out. That he sent his son Mm -hmm. so that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. So God set a price. Jesus paid the father the price. And the father said, yes, that's enough. And then I got to be adopted. 
So the price is none of my business. I'm not even in a position to devalue the blood of Christ in this bloodless mm-hmm. society where it makes no sense to me that blood would be the price. Mm-hmm. I'm not in a position to even get to judge it because God said it. Jesus paid it. God said, okay, it's done. Now I can get the kid. So it would be like my adopted son coming to me saying, you're, you're not my dad. I'd say, what? Why not? You didn't pay enough for me. What the hell business is that to you? Mm-hmm. I was dealing with other agencies. It's not, you're the beneficiary, but it's none of your business. Shut up yeah. and go to your room because you're my son. See, yeah. that's the... <laughs> Wow, that's the weird shame trail. So yeah, I I love I love Adoption Day because it reminds me of all these core things about who I am and how much I'm loved and getting to have an adopted child and realize that my feelings towards him are absolutely no different than my three biological kids. There's just yeah. no difference in how I feel, which helps me to accept that God loves me with that same passion of a father Mm -hmm. as he would if I was born biologically to him. I love watching Elijah under that love that you give him. Uh, And it is, I mean, I've watched your family in action and it's very clear to me that Elijah doesn't consider himself a fourth wheel or an out. Yeah. But he's, 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 he's part of the family. Yeah. He's got brothers, and he's got a dad, and he's got a mom, and that's it. It's amazing to me. Isn't and it shows, it shows really that your feelings are genuine and are, and are being genuinely communicated. Well, it's extraordinary and beautiful to see any adopted family, how a family can be woven together in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's lots of little pithy throw cushions that have little adoption statements about, you know, families are put together not just by biology, but by love or whatever, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But it is true and it is miraculous. Yeah. And, and it maybe even points to how much we can become brothers with one another without mm. being biologically bound. Yeah. As well. Oh, isn't that true? Those who will be closest to us uh, will be bound by love and the fire and not DNA. That is true. We're going to talk more about that with our guests today. All right. I, I, I can't wait for this conversation. So... We will be right back with our special guest, Chris Simning, in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden letter reaching down When the man comes around The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup? Or disappear into the potter's ground When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers 
100 million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Very excited today. We have our old friend, Chris Simning, who was on the show like six years ago, but he's back. He is back from Phoenix area, not Phoenix proper. It took him six years to get to to, to kind of get over the trauma of the first appearance, I think. (laughs) Was it? (laughs) We finally wore him down. (laughs) So we are excited uh, to have you, Chris. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be back. (laughs) Now, Chris is on his uh, downtime. He's usually spending his summer at camp speaking and all over the place, barely home in the summer. That's right. So you're relaxing, you're chilling. Oh, it's been amazing. Like waking up the other day, I'm like, where am I? Where am I? Oh, I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good feeling. I loved it. And it's pretty good that you have a job where you can leave Arizona during the summer and come back in the fall. That's right. However, I will say this about traveling to places that are humid. You think you're out in the desert heat, but when you go to humidity, you're like, you know what? I think I like Phoenix. So, Phoenix is a dry heat. That's their that's their cell to get you. <laughs> it's it's you guys and you guys and us. I I had one of my most awkward moments on stage in in Phoenix. There were probably five hundred people in the audience, and I stole a guy's joke that I had heard uh, years before, and said, "Man, so California and Arizona are two of the lowest ranked." school systems in the country we're like number two and three at the time and i said but don't don't feel bad arizona because we're not stupid it's not the same it's a dry stupid and i i thought that was such a funny joke and i tell you that arizona people had no sense of humor about stupidity it was so awkward (laughs) so for those of the audience that don't know the amazing chris simning uh Give us the the version of your story. I've heard the long version of your story, and I love it, but we won't have any time for questions. So give us us the shorter version of your story. Sure. So I was born with a condition called five motor cerebral palsy. It was really bile that you can't even detect I even had it. And then I was fine. I did everything everybody else can do. I strippered in my hands. That was the extent of it. And so I, I always typed in school. That's how I got through school. I went to bed in eighth grade. I woke up the next morning. And I couldn't hold my head up. And we thought, oh, maybe you just stepped wrong. And so we, but I, it didn't go away. I kept lifting up my head for many days after that. And we started going to see doctors and then specialists. And that turned into hospital visits and two and a half months later after I woke up that morning in the eighth grade, I was diagnosed with a rare muscle nerve disease called torsional dystonia. 
and it's the twisting of your torso so it affects things like your voice the way you look the way you walk and my whole world was shattered in eighth grade and being a guy eighth grade is a bad time for something like that to happen because of puberty mm-hmm. so i dealt with that and then it got worse through my eighth grade to my senior year of high school and by the time i was a senior in high school i was confined to a wheelchair and I never thought I would ever walk again. And I sat in a wheelchair for about five years. And God, I guess, ordained me to be a speaker because <clears throat> I started swimming just to be with other people with disabilities. And it was through water therapy that I actually regained my strength. My doctor told me to throw away all my medication. So I don't take any medication still to this day. And I started to walk through the process of being involved in swim swim therapy for about two and a half years. And I went off to college, got my degrees, and when I got done with school, I felt the Lord was saying, you need to go tell your story. And I've been a speaker ever since. Wow. So a big part of your story is to younger people. Um, why, why does your story resonate so much with with these younger audiences? I mean, that's really where you started. I know you've branched out over yeah. the years. I think because I think because of the youth culture of this age. By the way, I never would like to go back to that age. I, I feel like the older we get, the worse at what they deal with and what we deal with. It's a lot more difficult for them. I feel like youth are in a place where they're really trying to seek out what truth really is for them. I'm going to go to all these different avenues that's just falsehood to try to find their purpose, try to find their identity. So when I was going through my disease, dealing with the struggles of that, got, I got dick called, I got... People thought I was stupid and idiot. I, I was no good. I wasn't good about anything. I dealt with father issues. And I just realized youth today need somebody who's been broken in life to speak truth into their souls because every one of us is broken. And that's why I think my story resonates because when students hear it, my story for the first time, I get a lot of them coming up to me and asking me questions. And we enter into dialogue and conversations about their loneliness, their frustrations, their rejections. And they're able-bodied people. So I know that everybody deals with an aspect of brokenness. And that's why I think my story relates to this culture of youth. Because I think they're trying to finally see through the veneer that everything they're trying to do to seek truth is not working. And they want what's real. And I feel like my story gives them that. Now, you have a part of your story that is really enlightening for community and for the courage of friends and what it means to step up into friendship and then also what it meant to you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, talk about embarrassing moments. I have hundreds of them. I've embarrassed, <laughs> I've embarrassed quite a bit, and 
when I was younger and dealing with things, and still to this day, I deal with uh, issues with um, just falling down or tripping or maybe accidents that I have that I have to clean up my feces, my mess, and where I just lose control. And I have core people in my life who they overlook things like that and they really do not care that that's an issue. And it takes people big enough to overlook stuff like that to befriend me. And when people do that for me, that's how they gave my trust. And I realized that these people are two friends of mine. They're real people. They're real friends. And they, they're they willing to get dirty with me. And it's it's amazing to me. And it, I, it's an eye-opener to me that when they reached out to me and when I was struggling through issues, I realized how much loved I was. And that made the whole difference in the, the world to me. Because where were you at high school, mentally and emotionally? I mean, this was, you're, you're getting worse. You're moving towards a wheelchair. Um, how much did those friends exhibiting God's love really save your life back then? So I grew up in the church since I was about eight years old. And I didn't like church for a long time. I thought it was boring. I thought it was a waste of my time. But I was afraid to go. My mom uh, was going through a divorce, and she became a believer through that divorce. And here I am going through this difficulty, and I didn't even see Jesus when I was hurting. I was angry. Where are you? It just makes no sense to me. If you're a God of love, then why do I have to deal with stuff like this? And it took those people in my life, those friends, who they didn't preach Jesus to me. They didn't do it by words. They did it by their actions. And they did it quietly. And over the process of being observing how they were treating me through their actions, that won me over that I was loved by God. And that helped me a lot with my faith. What, what were some of those actions? I'm thinking things like including you, even if they thought, oh, we're taking Chris and that might slow down whatever we're doing. Yeah. We might have to stop for certain. What, what were some of the things that you went, oh, thank you for doing that? So I was sheltered a lot when I was sick because I didn't want to go into public. I was very uncomfortable. I had anxiety issues because people stare at me. People look at me and I'm judged immediately by the way that I look. I get that. And so I would be a shut-in in some respects because I always felt like I was misunderstood. And still to this day, I feel like I've always misunderstood by people. It's hilarious to watch how people respond to me when they don't know who I am. And they'll talk down to me like I'm five years old. Mm-hmm. So I, during my high school years, people would come over and they would get me and they would take me and my wheelchair out to their car and fold up my wheelchair throw in their car just to take me out and just to help me be involved. And if we would go to high school football games, they wouldn't leave me in my wheelchair on the field. They would pick me up and carry me into the bleachers just so I can sit with people. Wow. Um, 
as a hospital tripper, I went on that was a senior trip, and I was on medication at the time for my disease. One of the side effects is diarrhea, and I had diarrhea all over my sleeping bag one night. And a friend of mine, my age, he was a senior like I was then. He took me to the shower and cleaned up all my filth. Who does that as a senior? You're so self-absorbed in who you are. That's disgusting to even test diarrhea of somebody else, let alone your own. And he Mm -hmm. did it. So those were instances of people showing up for me when I needed love the most. So, Nate, this is all the external. Like, Chris, sometimes the external is the most obvious to see. And, but yeah. this is the same as internal stuff, right? When guys right. are finally honest, they confess that sin, and f- they're afraid that the first reaction is going to be, we're going to pull away. We're not going to include you. We're not mm-hmm. going to invite you. So how do you relate what Chris is talking about to the 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 walk into honesty and brokenness you know i loved what john lynch says in the uh in the heart of man film where he said i always felt like there was something on my face that everybody could see that i couldn't uh and something that made me unacceptable that resonated with me um one of the reasons that i uh you know, always brought another persona into the room was this feeling that if 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 people ever saw behind uh, the performance who I really am, um, how afraid and confused and uncertain and uh, duplicitous I really am, um, that they would certainly leave me. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and I, th- I, I think I think we all carry that, and so we're. Uh, it takes so one of the things that that you know I have learned that it, one of the gifts that I can give to a new guy is to show something weak and shameful and ugly uh, about myself, and the more I can talk in the present tense, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can give him the courage to kind of show more of his real self in order to gain the confidence that he's actually going to have, that he's actually going to be uh, accepted. Because there's two parties in both what you're talking about and what Chris is talking about. Yeah. That Chris, you could have hidden, you know, oh, I had this accident in my sleeping bag. I'm just going to put it under the bed and hide it. Yeah. And because I don't want people's help. I don't want to reach out. So you need the person who is a friend, a true friend, and then the willingness to let other people help. Yeah. Right. But I feel like in that situation, I was forced to call out because I was in a wheelchair. I can't get up on my own, so I needed somebody to help me. And I think that's a good lesson to learn, too. And it's that when you hit rock bottom, there's no place for you to go but to call out to somebody. And call out to somebody that you trust will be there for you. And I feel like that you hit it right on the head. I feel like when you're open with somebody about things that you struggle with, Mm-hmm. You gotta realize that their response to you is not what you think it would be. It's mm-hmm. not gonna be a rejection. It's gonna be, you know what? I relate to that at some level, and I think yeah. that, that's what makes us 
in community because he filled that void. Yeah, yes. That's the gift of desperation, right? Once I get desperate, it's the greatest gift. Okay, so there were two other. You're becoming my giant Samson metaphor right now, Chris. I'm making connections here. Uh, When you were talking, two things came to mind. One is that when people meet you, they can think, oh, this is a mentally disabled person. And you're a super smart guy that thinks no different than anybody else (laughs) so that's got to be number one just tell me how that feels it's extremely frustrating so i travel for speaking all the time so the airport is my second office Mm-hmm. There's a story where I go in and I go to a kiosk of an airline to check in. And I, I know how to do all this stuff, but there was an agent there who, who thought I needed her assistant, and she would come to me and she would get really close to my face, like almost like this. <laughs> and she, her voice would lower down like she was talking to a kid, and she would say, can I help you? Like I, <laughs> I, like I couldn't hear either. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. I got this. And she still didn't believe me. And so she stood right by the kiosk and watched every move I make with my finger to check in on my, the kiosk <laughs> my boarding pass. And once the machine started to print the pass, she came up to me like this again, this close, and she goes... Good for you. <laughs> oh, no. That's horrible. I'm like, what? Good for me, what? <laughs> and so I went back to her and I go, thank you. Like, <laughs> I, I always get mistaken that I'm stupid. And one of the worst insults that I can get is when people allude to me that I'm stupid. And... It's it's crazy. I'm trapped in a body, and I feel like being a man. I struggle with what being a man is because I believe what society has imposed on me about what manhood is about, and what manhood is about is something that I don't have. I can't fix things. I can't change the oil on my car. I can't go out and mow my lawn. I can't do manly things, but I feel like men are placed in a position where we always have to prove to to other people that we're worth it. And that's exhausting to me. So have you, have you formed a new definition of what a man is where you can see, Oh no, I am a man. Um, over the years, it's been a process for me. I still wrestle with it, to be honest with you, because I feel less than, like, quite a bit. And I don't know, I feel... It's hard for me because I feel, I always feel like I'm misunderstood. And I, I feel like people don't really get me. And they stand off and they watch me like I'm a, a exhibit at a museum. And they, it's like I'm untouchable, but they're in awe of my story. But yet they don't really believe that I'm still capable to do everything that everybody else can do. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating. 
you're more of a museum piece behind the glass to be looked at, but not to be touched. I think so. So, Nate, how does it tie in? You know, Chris is saying, okay, I have this one disability, but then I get a bunch of other disabilities and issues assumed onto me. And I feel like, wow, if I confess one sin and people say, oh, you struggle with that, do I then get lumped into, you know, I have all these other gifts. I'm still useful in the body of Christ. God still loves me. But now, like, how does that, how does that tie in for someone that it's not an external experience with a lady at a kiosk, but it's a fear of something else? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's amazing how, you know, we don't want to think uh, and interact with people uh, any more than we have to. And so we find stereotypes very useful. It's shorthand, relational shorthand. Mm -hmm. And we're very quick to uh, pigeonhole other people. And and we watch as other people pigeonhole us. We're not conscious of when we do it to other people, but we're very conscious of when they do it to us. Um, You know, our Samson meeting Uh, last Monday night was led by uh, a faithful member of our group, a real leader in our group who, uh, whose physical characteristics uh, remind me a whole lot of Chris. He's got muscular dystrophy dystrophy of some kind or MS. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, it affects speech, his speech the same way it does Chris. Uh, He's, uh, he can usually walk with the help of a cane or a walker, although he's had to have some surgeries lately, spend some time in a wheelchair. Um, he's a brilliant guy, married with kids, uh, has worked, uh, been a business owner, uh, close to retirement now. It took uh, quite a long time before anybody in our group asked Walt to become a Silas. Mm -hmm. Silas is kind of like a sponsor, right? But the first guy to ask Walt to be a Silas was absolutely blown away. And then then these stories began to circulate. You can't believe what Walt told me. It's like this reservoir of wisdom that this guy carries. Uh, But it it took a while for anybody to look past the the physical disability and see um, this, you know, the solid spiritual man that he is and the fund of wisdom that he carries. Um, so I love it when he leads a meeting. It takes him a little longer to go through the readings than it does some other guys. And if he's having a rough day, he might mix up some words occasionally. But man, does he lead a solid meeting. And I want to listen whenever he shares because he doesn't waste words. He's got something to say. So I think there's an important role in friends' lives, whether, Chris, it's a situation like yours or a guy who says, okay, I'll admit I'm struggling with this sin and I know I'm now going to be put in this lesser category. I think it's an important role for us to affirm one another in those gifts that Mm -hmm. somebody verbally says to Walt, Walt, it is amazing to see what is in your mind. It is amazing the gift you give to other men. Like, we need to hear that. And then maybe it feels awkward sometimes to say just point blank, but I know I need point blank. I'd rather not assume those things upon myself, but receive them as a gift from someone else. And it's not that hard. Yeah. 
Okay, here's a, another parallel, Chris, that I never thought of until you talked about swimming. You said swimming so you could be with people, other people with disabilities. Right. And I had never considered, wow, okay, so here you are, you have a physical disability, and now you're being thrust probably into a community of other people with disabilities as if it's like, oh, well, this is where he'll feel most comfortable. <laughs> but, I mean, you're, you're just a guy now around other people that others might feel uncomfortable with. And it's just assumed it'll be normal for you. I'm sure there was a lot more empathy from and towards that community. But that's got to be a little weird, right? That's a strange assumption. Yeah, that's a great insight, actually. Uh, because... <coughs> I loved those other students in the water with me. They were they had different disabilities than I had, and some were mental, some most were physical disabilities. But I, I resonated with them. I couldn't uh, relate to them completely, but I resonated with them out of a deeper respect in all of their lives because I know that they struggle with misunderstandings and misperceptions just the way that I did. And for me to be in that category of being with other people with disability, it was helpful for me. And I feel a lot of times you're right, you said it well, Aaron, where I... People get lumped into categories for no reason of their own simply because they look that part of what that category is. And I feel like when we talk about the issue of sin, I feel like sin is categorized in our culture of Christianity. Yes. I feel like a certain sin is worse than other sins, but when God's view Every sin is the same, and every sin is the same. And I feel like we, as in the Christian community, we have lumped sins in categories. And I feel like that's part of why men don't share honestly about their struggles, is because when they do, they feel like they're going to get lumped into a category. Oh, that's where he belongs. No, that's not where you belong. You belong in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You need brothers to help you in your struggle to get through what you deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I feel like we lock people into categories. And that was a good insight, Aaron, that you made. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I received that. Yeah. I just asked for verbal confirmation. You've given it. I am now filled for the day. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I'm certainly familiar with getting, you know, getting the getting the side eye when I say I'm a recovering sex addict. Mm-hmm. And I have to confess that early on in recovery, I wanted to make sure that people understood that my sexual taste. Okay, so I'm a sex addict on stupid things. My sexual tastes were you know, mainstream and straight ahead. Um, I wonder, because I didn't want people to assume that I ever was attracted to men. Because in my mind, that was a whole different category and it was below me and I somehow was superior to somebody who battles an unwanted same-sex attraction. Um, Now, I I don't think that way any longer and I have the greatest respect for my brothers uh, who've kind of, who've been handled that thing. And and uh, and they're going to live and walk in community, as you know, as men with that, you know, with that uh, burden to carry. But yeah, I, I wish I. 
sin is a thing. Fantastic. Nobody here's uh, denying the existence or uh, inappropriateness of sin. Right. But even that label, it, it becomes unhelpful in so many ways because it becomes kind of the final word. Is it just, yeah. is it sin or isn't it? And then we're done because now we've <laughs> declared it to be so. Yeah. Instead of realizing all of this is just pieces of brokenness in the fall, yeah. whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's habitual. And all of that has the potential to drive me towards Christ and the gospel. Yes. All of it has the potential to be the best thing in my life, or it has the potential for me to just become totally self-absorbed and indulge my own, whether it's whininess and depression or indulge my own flesh desires. But both potentials are there. Yeah. By just sticking with, well, which one's a sin and which one isn't, it stops as a bad thing and it loses all the beauty of its potential. Yes. Well said. Brokenness is a gift that goes undisguised. Oh, say that again. Say that again. Brokenness is a gift that goes undisguised. Mm. You have to get beyond the costume of what that is and be real in the midst of your brokenness because God gives unto you as a gift to be used for his glory. Wow. Yeah, for his for his glory, which is also manifest right. through me knowing him more. Like he's going to be glorified as he's revealed in his true character, which means I get to participate in the goodness of discovering a loving daddy in the midst yes. of brokenness. Because your brokenness makes you desperate. You know, going back to the hospital situation where I was desperate for help. When you're broken, you are desperate. And I feel like brokenness goes out of disguise in your life because you don't feel like your brokenness is worthy of attention. But that's exactly how God gets your attention. Yeah. And not to shape you in it, but to love you through it. Because you come to the fact of yourself where it breaks you to the utmost core that the only thing that you can do is be desperate and look up to him. And when he reaches out to you and takes that brokenness, he reveals to you how much you are loved and he walks you through it. And that in and of itself becomes your gift that God has given you because he's made you through that brokenness seek him and drive you to be all that you can be in spite of it. Beautiful. So true. And here's where our presuppositions get in the way. Uh, when you were saying that, I thought of a guy, a friend of mine who was in his mid thirties and was still struggling when he would see like some picture of uh, a woman dressed sexily one way or the other. Right. And he was so frustrated with himself because he had the assumption that that brokenness should be done by his mid thirties. He should be like grown up, um, which, you know, what you translate that to would be, I think all breasts should look ugly except the ones attached to my wife, which those should be fantastic. Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't even make practical sense, but we were talking about this and his, his assumption, his presupposition was this brokenness is supposed to be fixed so I can be more useful. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, well, what 
what happens when those thoughts cross your mind? Now, this guy was super disciplined. So he didn't go like get triggered and look at porn. This is, this is the part of the interview where the dog walks in because the children have all left. I get tap dancing in the background of on wood. Uh, he, so he, does, he wouldn't go and get porn or go do any acting out. He would cry out to God and be like, God, this is, I don't want this. I don't want my flesh to do this. And, and he would just throw himself at the mercy of God. He would go to his wife and think, I, got, I need to focus on her. I need to love her well. So that was the result of his brokenness, his flesh going in that direction. And I asked him, well, what would you do if you didn't ever have those thoughts? And his answer was, I would get so much more done. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, wait. So you get miraculously healed and you just become a workaholic who doesn't pray as much or focus on his wife. But <laughs> in your brokenness, you're in deep, desperate prayer to your daddy and focused on your wife. I said, I'm sorry, dude, I got to pray that you keep uh, having these thoughts the rest of your life. (laughs) It seems like a good thing. But that presupposition, he was haunted and shamed because he assumed something was supposed to happen that I don't think God intended. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, what about Paul's story in his flesh? What was his story? We will die. We don't know what that thorn was. It could be a multitude of things, but it just reminds me of God saying, you know what, I hear you, but I'm not going to take that thorn away from you because my grace is sufficient for you because that's when my power is made perfect and when you're weak. You need me. You're You're desperate for me. You need to seek me. That thorn is a gift. Your brokenness is a gift. I'm going to use it, but you have to step into that. So, so how does, Nate, how, how do you see when guys have the assumption, okay, let's say I'm struggling with porn. Yeah. I, my assumption is this is supposed to go away. I, will, I need to stop the behavior and ultimately stop having the desire. That's got to be the spiritual goal. Yeah. What do you say to that? What do you think about that? Well, you know, I agree with you that God doesn't seem uh, to buy into uh, uh, to our expectations and our plans when it comes to addiction. Yes, I do agree uh, that the goal is to be free of the behavior. But, but the idea that the temptation to that behavior, uh, the urge, uh, that, you know, is going to go away completely, that somehow I'm still morally culpable or defective if I'm temptable, hmm. that's insane. Hmm. And for me, the only thing that really keeps me close to my brothers and keeps me, you know, close to transparency and honesty is this... Um, a deep conviction I have now that uh, because this brokenness, because I'm, because I'm, I still have this uh, vulnerability to lust, I have to stay close to people or it's going to eat me up. Hmm. If that were gone, I would become probably the biggest self-congratulatory, self-righteous Pharisee you ever met. Hmm. Yeah. Nothing good would come of it. <laughs> Not the no. spiritual good you would assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need the humility, uh, the daily reminder. You know, my, my continued vulnerability to lust is a reminder to me that I am no better 
than the crack whore on the corner. And it doesn't matter what anybody confesses to me about what they've done. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a step above them. Right. It's kind of like wearing that moniker, like poor Matthew, the tax collector, right? Keeps getting called Matthew, the tax collector. It's like, yeah. I left the booth. I'm not the tax collector. Stop <laughs> me that. Or Simon the leper. Yeah. Clean for a while, guys. Well, there's a lot of Simons, buddy. We need you. are Simon the leper. And I, I kind of felt bad about that. Um, you know, Lazarus, the previously dead guy. He doesn't is <laughs> that. Uh, that it it is part of the showcase. Like, no, Matthew, don't worry. We know you're not in the tax booth anymore. Yeah, but this is this is part of the story, and this is part of keeping you sane. Yeah, because you know you know what kind of money you can make in that booth. We're gonna keep you out. Mm. So, well, Chris, any final words on community? This is this I've really enjoyed uh, taking apart parts of your stories. It's story in this different way. This has been right. a little different. I like it. Compare those. Uh, it's it's like a, you're a good counselor because you listen, and when you listen to people's aspects of story, you 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 take different elements of it. Okay, so we don't have any time now. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say. <clears throat> Use your brokenness for the greater cause of who it is that God created you to be. Use it not to be a crutch. Use it not to be a label. Use it not to be categorized. Because I feel like whenever we use it as a crutch or a label or a category, we become complacent and we get depressed. We get stuck in a slump. We get the woe is me attitude. When God wants you to rise above your brokenness and, and be desperate for who he is in your life, for the way he wants to love you and show you that love so that he, he can work in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Hmm. You have a purpose. You, you have a a destiny with God's eternal kingdom. And you get to make that difference in the way that you choose to walk your life. A community is important to have a core group of people who know you for who you are. And when they know your weaknesses for who you are, they're able to reach out to you and encourage you on your journey to the purposes that God wants to magnify in your life. Mm-hmm. But don't stay in them. Keep moving. Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Chris Simning. I love you, man. I love it. I loved it. Thank you for having me this morning. I really enjoyed it. Great talking to you, Chris. You too. Thank you. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hello, Melumela, Kumgana. 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 Hello, Melumela,
All right, well, that's just about it for this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We're hitting on all cylinders, Aaron. This is like the third consecutive week when a episode has been recorded and lofted up into the stratosphere. Thank you, brother, for your hard work. And you're, you're really handling this thing start to finish. You're scheduling guests. You're doing the heavy lifting in the interviews. Don't, you're don't editing. That. Now, if people don't like the guests or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, he was the one that tracked them down. Ah, yeah, it's just a beautiful job, and I sure appreciate it. So I, we should warn the uh the audience that there will be a few weeks we don't have them while i'm traveling but i am hoping to do some recording while we're in franklin with various people so that we will have a whole bunch after that that are just lined up and ready to be uploaded okay so uh if you don't hear from us for a few weeks uh don't write us an email saying you were doing so well and now you suck if you say that it'll hurt our feelings because you've been warned but do send us an email. Go ahead and write to us. Give us your thoughts, uh, your deep desires, your fears, uh, whatever you want to write to us. And send that email to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Aaron, you're going to be here in just uh, just a couple of weeks now. Two weeks from today. Okay. And uh, so you'll be coming for the Pirate Monk Recharge Weekend. Then you've got some other stuff lined up. Uh, you're going to be here for a couple of weeks, I guess. That'll be awesome to have you around. Well, can, can I tell you the irony that you might have missed with our plane tickets? What's that? So we usually fly out of Los Angeles, and it's always a one-stop in Chicago or Texas, and yeah. then to Nashville. So it's never, ever been a direct flight. Yeah. So this time on our flight back, yeah, we're going out of San Jose. It's flying straight from Nashville straight to Los Angeles, where we will then change planes. <laughs> yeah. Flying over our house and then driving back. <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah. good, good times. Yeah. Oh, let me mention again uh, before we sign off the disciple making the National Disciple Making Forum. It's going to be held here in Middle Tennessee because Samson Samson Society is playing a big role in that, and there'll be other people whose heart really is disciple making, really leaders in disciple making from around the country. That's November 9th and tenth, and you can register at discipleship.org. And if you put in the discount code Samson Society, you get a twenty percent discount. And there are still spaces available for the recharge weekend, which is two weeks from this Friday. Uh, how many spots do we have left? Uh, well, depending on where you want to sleep. If you want to sleep, I mean, at the, at the inn, we've, we're, I think we're down to 10 rooms at the inn. Uh, and so it starts on Friday the 13th. It runs from Friday to Sunday. What are their other sleeping options? They've got camping options. There's camping options, and then there's off-site in a motel down in Lewisburg where you're going to fight the crowds at the Goat Festival. And they're a vicious crowd. Yes, they are. They'll butt you in the knees. To get <laughs> <laughs> uh, and locals, uh, locals will be driving in and just hanging. So 
going to be a good time. So register, sign up. Uh, I'm glad that we uh, have that critical mass now. Yeah. It's going to be there. And we are looking forward to hanging with you all. So get out there. All right. Okay, brother. I think that does it. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast.